Welcome back to another episode on What the Autism. This podcast is for anyone who's struggling with understanding what autism is and how we can better empower our autism community through research-proven methods. In each episode, I'll be sharing with you groundbreaking research and how the diagnosis of autism can often be misunderstood. If you are a new listener to our podcast, I highly recommend you start from episode one to catch up to speed on various terminology and concepts. Now let's get started. Today's episode will be covering the last part of our ABA 101 series. During the last three episodes, we talked about the ABCs of ABA, what behaviors are, the functions of behavior, reinforcement versus punishment. So today we'll be talking about reinforcers and how we establish motivation in our children. Now let's start with a quick recap. In last week's episode, we covered the difference between reinforcement and punishment in ABA terminology. Remember that reinforcement occurs when a behavior increases because of a consequence of either adding or removing something from the environment. So by definition, a reinforcer increases behavior. And there are two types of reinforcements, positive and negative. Remember, positive reinforcement is when a behavior occurs and then a stimulus such as a person, an object, anything is presented immediately following the behavior. And because of that, the probability of that behavior occurring again in the future increases. On the flip side, in negative reinforcement, the behavior occurs and then the stimulus is removed immediately following the behavior. Now, because of that, the probability of that behavior occurring again in the future increases. And let me remind you again that just because the word negative is present, it doesn't mean anything bad or it doesn't have any um, negative connotation. Now let's focus on the topic of reinforcers. What are they, right? So we talked about reinforcement and the act of reinforcement and what it is, but what are some examples of reinforcers that actually allow the reinforcement to happen? Right. So some very common examples, and I think you guys can immediately think of some, are things like iPads or any electronics, right? Um, any edibles. So things that children cannot have daily access to. So things like ice cream or candies, the sweet stuff that the children really like. Um, some other common examples can even be activities. They don't necessarily have to be tangibles. So if children really love going to their friend's house or going out to the park to play um, certain games and things like that, th- those can definitely be reinforces themselves as well. Um, so those are some common examples of reinforcers. Now the question is, how do we make reinforcers effective? right? I've come across a lot of situations where parents get stuck, right? They have this um, this idea that, well, my child loves playing on the iPad, right? So I use the iPad um, to get him to do anything. So whether it's making his or her bed or taking a bath, which is their least favorite time, or getting them to do their homework or going to a relative's house that they don't like going to. So these are, you know, These are common situations that happen, but what happens when the parent um, presents another situation thinking that, you know, oh, if I present this child with, um, with an iPad, they're going to do it and they present the, the task and their child isn't motivated to complete it. Right. So, um, very common situations that come up are, um, things like, oh, Johnny, if you do your homework, I'll let you have the iPad after, um, and, in that given moment, maybe the child doesn't feel like having the iPad or earning the iPad, right? Um, and now what? They're not motivated, right? And the parent was relying on that one um, one reinforcer, which was the iPad, to get the child to complete 
the non-preferred activity. So now that the iPad has lost its effectiveness in being a reinforcer, now what do we do? Before we determine our next moves in these types of situations, we first need to remember the four different uh, variables that affect reinforcer effectiveness, right? So I'm going to quickly list them out and then I'll walk you guys through each pointer. So the first is deprivation versus satiation. Um, second is immediacy. Third is size or intensity. And last is contingency. So these are the four different variables that affect how effective a reinforcer is going to be in your child or even any individual's life. Okay, so the first one, deprivation versus satiation, okay, um, this is often referred to as not enough or too much of a good thing, right? So in deprivation, you're having limited access to something that's highly desired, right? So um, often this is used to increase the value of an item or an activity to someone, right? So some common examples. Um, like I've been working all day and I haven't had a chance to eat because I haven't eaten anything. I'm deprived of food. So my motivation to get food is much higher than as opposed to if I just came back from lunch, right? Another example is if my child had access to their video games um, completely removed, their motivation to gain access to play their video games again is going to be much higher, okay? So that's deprivation, now, I want to provide some clarification before we move forward. I know the word deprive comes with such negative connotation, but I want to clarify that in ABA terminology, deprivation simply just, uh, just refers to the act of withholding something um, for the sake of increasing the item or the stimulus's um, reinforcement. Um, for the specific person. So, you know, when we're saying that we're depriving a child of something, we're not, again, I want to clarify, we're not depriving them of the basic necessities, right? Um, we're not going to be depriving a child of food for, you know, 15 hours. We're not depriving the child of any water for an extended period of time, but we are depriving them of frequent access to specific um, foods, specific reinforcers um, that are motivating to them. So that way we can increase the motivation to get them to perform tasks that may not necessarily be the most um, reinforcing for them. So for example, um, very common examples um, in kids' daily lives where we use this concept is where we are depriving a child of access to their electronics. That's a big one that I work on with so many of my parents, just because every child nowadays has such frequent free access to um, their electronics. Um, and so in order to keep a child motivated, if they really enjoy things like their iPads um, and their phones, their tablets, computers, video games, any of those types of electronics, um, we utilize those as opportunities for us to um, motivate our children to complete their homework, complete their everyday chores, socialize with peers that they may not necessarily be motivated by. Um, and I know that there's a lot of different um, scenarios that can play, um, but these are just some common examples of situations or um, some common examples of situations where we may use um, the concept of deprivation. Okay, um, so now let's talk about satiation, right? This is the complete opposite of deprivation, but in satiation, we're referring to um, someone having too much of a certain stimulus, 
right? So if the same reinforcer is used over and over again, it's probably gonna begin to lose its reinforcing value, right? So like we talked about, if a child is on their iPad for the last 15 hours, are they gonna be motivated to complete a non-preferred task or an activity to gain another hour on on their iPad? Another example is maybe, let's say today for lunch, you grabbed a cheeseburger, okay? And for dinner tonight, um, your friends wanted to grab a burger. So you went ahead and had a second burger. Now, let's say tomorrow during lunchtime, your coworker suggests grabbing burger for lunch again. Um, I don't know how much, how many of you guys like cheeseburgers, but I don't think I'm going to want another cheeseburger for the third meal in a row, right? So we're, I'll, I'll, I'm, it's pretty safe to say that I'm pretty satiated off of burgers. So if someone comes to me and says, hey, Amanda, if you um, complete the stack of, um, you know, paperwork filing and, you know, clean up the supply room, I'll treat you out to a burger, you know. Am I going to really be motivated to do all those tedious tasks for someone for, you know, in order to have a burger that I had the last two meals? Um, Probably a no thank you, right? So in the same way, it's the same, it's the same exact concept with our kids. Okay, so we never want to use the same reinforcer over and over again. A common thing that I um, suggest to a lot of our parents, and this It doesn't even have to do, um, this doesn't even have to be just for our families that are affected by um, the autism diagnosis. This can be for any parent, okay? A common um, recommendation I give for parents is the, the concept of a toy library, right? So, you know, a lot of our kids nowadays are very um are surrounded by a flood of toys and different um, fun activities in their home now in these types of situations um you'll realize that you know your child may be um maybe spoiled with an abundance of different toys and items that they're gifted on christmas birthdays just for a freebie (laughs) um so you know sometimes you when you watch your child like how are you playing with the same five things and saying that you're bored when you have a whole room full of all these different toys, right? And that's the same thing. When you provide a child with free access to the same thing over and over again, you're completely losing its its reinforcement, right? Um, same thing is if someone comes to you and I, let's say someone comes to you and gives you $100, um, $100 every day, they come to you and continuously give you a hundred dollars and then all of a sudden someone says hey if you want a hundred dollars come and um you know clean my entire house and wash my car fill it up with gas and bring it back um i don't think there would be a lot of people that would want to engage in all those you know tedious tasks right because they've been given a hundred dollars every day for free free of charge right so in the same way your children are um are, you know, when they're provided with free access to these types of items, they are satiated off of these items, right? They, they're not reinforced by all these different toys. So what I recommend is that you create a family activity where you go through all of your toys or all of your children's toys and you have them pick anywhere between five to 10 things. 
And again, this um, the schedule is very um, flexible, so you can mold it to whatever works for your family. But have them pick um, five to ten toys that they want to play with for the next week, the next two weeks, or the next three weeks, or even the next month. Okay, um, let them play the heck out of all those different toys, the five to ten that they selected. And when it comes time, go ahead and put those toys away and have them select the next five or ten. Now, in that meantime, I suggest that you guys go through all those toys, organize it based on um, the types of toys they are, um, and you know, start separating them into boxes and just put it away in the garage or put it away in the storage so that's out of sight, out of mind. And you're really teaching your children to enjoy the, the items for what they are. A lot of our parents actually really enjoy this method um, just because it clears out the space for a lot of um, the families, but it also um, just teaches the children how to really value um, the concept of having um, toys and activities to, um, to entertain themselves in the house, right? So in the same way, um, when it comes to toys, that even includes electronics, right? So is your child gaining free access to the TV, to video games, to their iPad, to um, shows or um, any types of movies um, or games on their phone, right? All of this is free access. So I highly recommend that you really control the amount of access you're providing um, your children um, to these electronics. Um, so that way you are in control of um, of how your child is reinforced. And so that way, when your child is having to engage in more difficult, non-preferred activities, um, you have control in being able to motivate your child in preventing any undesirable behaviors such as whining, the vocal protest, the tantrums, all of those types of maladaptive behaviors from occurring. So we spent quite a bit of time on covering the topic of deprivation and satiation. Um, but the reason why I spent such a long time covering this is because it's such an easy fix in a child's life. Um, and it's something so easy that we can quickly adjust um, in our day-to-day -day activities. Um, so I wanted to spend some time really kind of nitpicking and going over some examples and why it's important. Um, but the second point or the second variable that I want to cover is immediacy. So the item that is serving as a reinforcer needs to be delivered as quickly as possible as soon as the preferred or the target behavior occurs. The longer amount of time that lapses between the behavior and then the delivery of the reinforcer, the less effective the reinforcer will be. So let's go over an example. Let's say that Johnny was promised by his mom that he'll get a lollipop if he behaves in the grocery store today. Johnny is on his best behavior and on their way out of the store, mom promises that he'll get his lollipop. However, on the way home, mom forgot that she has a couple more errands to run. So two more hours have passed and when they got home, Johnny now gets to have his lollipop. Now let's say that during the two hours of extra errands, Johnny is getting upset in the car because it's getting hot during the summer and he's getting hungry. He throws a tantrum in the car and because of this, mom says he no longer gets the lollipop. Now, what's the issue with this situation? First, Johnny earned his lollipop for his quote-unquote good behavior that was um, expected in the grocery store. But now that lollipop is being revoked for a different contingency. This is what leads to ineffective motivators and situations that results in a child to lose their trust in their parents' promises. 
So in the future, when mom makes similar types of promises, the child loses their trust that the reinforcer will be available. An important side note that I want to make is that it's really important to remember that over time we need to do something called um, thinning out our levels of reinforcement. Because the natural consequences of our everyday life doesn't entail a reinforcement after every behavior, um, it's, it's really important that we um, fade out the amount of reinforcement we get for our work or the non-preferred activities that we do. So for example, we don't get paid after the end of every hour we work, right? We get paid after every two weeks or um, after every week, right? So there's a delayed gratification, right? Um, so it's a, extremely important that we're um, not only, um, so it's extremely important that not only are we shaping and increasing desirable behaviors, but we're also teaching um, these individuals the concept of delayed gratification and that their work isn't necessarily going to be reinforced immediately by some type of reward or reinforcer. The next variable is size or intensity. This refers to how much of the reinforcer you're giving the child, right? So for example, if Mike reads one paragraph of a page of a book, he earns, you know, 10 pieces of Skittles. At this rate, we'll most likely be satiating him off of these Skittles, right? And we'll, and that'll probably lead to a situation where we'll have to look for new reinforcers. But maybe a better way to reinforce Mike would be to provide him a handful of candy um, after reading the entire book or after he finishes his, read, uh, his daily reading assignment of 30 minutes a day or an hour of the day, okay? Um, so this is really important that we get the, the um, proportion of work to reward um, correctly because once we get into a situation like I explained earlier where children are starting to get free access to things or getting too much of something, we're really putting a child in a situation where they're being satiated off of a specific stimulus, which will eventually result in situations where the effectiveness of that reinforcement will decrease. So first we talked about deprivation versus satiation. Then we talked about immediacy of the reinforcer. Then thirdly, we talked about the size or intensity of the amount of reinforcer that you're giving. And lastly is contingency. Reinforcement delivery must be contingent, meaning access to a reinforcer only occurs after the specific behavior has been demonstrated. When we want to reinforce a specific behavior as part of behavior management, we do so by using what we call differential reinforcement procedures. These can get extremely technical, and I don't want to throw all these technical terms at you guys all of today's episode, so we'll go ahead and save this topic for a different episode if you guys are interested at another time. But to review, in order to have effective reinforcers, we need to focus on deprivation versus satiation, immediacy of the reinforcer, the size and or intensity of the reinforcer, and then the contingency. Now, what we're going to go ahead and do is go back to the example of Johnny um, and him earning the lollipop. What we'll go ahead and do is um, go over this scenario and really break it down into these four variables so that it makes cohesive sense. Okay, so let's go back to the example. So Johnny was promised by his mom that he'll get a lollipop if he behaves inside the grocery store today. Johnny's on his best behavior and on their way out of the grocery store, mom promises that he gets his lollipop. 
However, on the way home, mom forgot that she had a couple more errands to run. So now let's say that the um, that during the two hours of extra errands, Johnny is starting to get upset in the car because it's getting hot during the summer and he's getting hungry. Now he's throwing a tantrum and starts whining in the car. And because of this, mom says that he no longer gets a lollipop when they get home. Now, breaking this down into the four parts or variables to the effectiveness of the lollipop as Johnny's reinforcer. First, deprivation versus satiation. It's safe to assume that if Johnny was motivated by the lollipop, he may not have had frequent access to this. Hence, his motivation for it was much higher. If he had access to a couple lollipops every day at home, or he just had one before um, he left the house to go to the grocery store, his motivation to behave in the store would have been much lower, right? So that's how we um, that's how we evaluate the deprivation versus satiation. Next, immediacy. Was the lollipop given to Johnny as soon as they walked out of the grocery store? Nope. Mom was, because the mom was busy and um, there was this um, two-hour delay, it resulted in extra time for Johnny to engage in other undesirable behaviors, which resulted in mom taking away the lollipop. Now, if we were on the flip side and the mother provided Johnny with the lollipop as soon as they walked out of that grocery store, now when we look at the future possibility of using lollipop, um, to reinforce a child for good behaviors in the grocery store, we can probably assume that that would have increased um, Johnny's um, positive and good behaviors, right? Um, so now let's go into the third variable of size and intensity. The only part of the four aspects, this is the only part of the four aspects that was good. Now, if the mom promised a child one piece of M&M or Skittle for a whole 45-minute trip to the grocery store, would that have been effective? Unless the child has been deprived of candy or chocolate the entire year, uh, most likely not, right? And so a lollipop for a, a grocery um, store trip would have been a sufficient um, size or amount to reward Johnny. Now, lastly, contingency. What's the issue with this whole situation, right? Johnny earned his lollipop for his quote-unquote good behavior at the grocery store, but was now being revoked for a different contingency. This is what leads to ineffective motivators and situations that result in a child to lose their trust in their parents' promises. So in the future, when, um, when the mom makes similar types of promises, the child will most likely lose their trust that the reinforcer will be available. So make sure that if you're reinforcing your child for quote-unquote good behaviors, the reinforcer is for a very specific behavior it becomes much easier to increase and shape these behaviors if you follow those steps. I know today's episode was quite extensive, um, but I tried my best to um, break down um, the different variables that affect um, the effectiveness of a reinforcer. So I hope it was helpful. Um, but to, in today's episode, just to kind of quickly recap, we covered the last part of our ABA 101 series. In these four segments, we covered the very basics of applied behavior analysis, ABA, and how we can utilize its very principles to address the autism diagnosis. So I hope this short series of four episodes was helpful in helping solve some basic questions that you might have about ABA and the 
treatment um, of helping um, children with the autism diagnosis. But if you would like more information on ABA or if you have specific questions, feel free to reach out to us um, on Instagram or Facebook at WhatTheAutism or email us at WhatTheAutismPodcast at gmail.com. But this concludes another episode here at What the Autism. Next week on episode 10, we'll be celebrating our 10th episode here on this podcast by holding a Q&A session and also um, talking about our February giveaway. So if, you're, um, so if you have any specific questions or concerns you'd like me to cover for next week's episode, please reach out to us through any platform. Again, our Facebook page and Instagram handle is at whattheautism. And our email address is whattheautismpodcast at gmail.com. We upload a new episode on your favorite podcast platform every Wednesday, but please note that this podcast has been created to discuss my personal experiences and opinions and is not a means of medical or psychological recommendations. But if you enjoyed this podcast, please make sure to follow and subscribe to our podcast channel, and I'll see you in episode 10.